KUT's AT Explained is back with a brand new season. Our first episode, what's up with that tower in Clarksville? I've heard it called the Clarksville Eiffel Tower, the tower, the leaning tower of Clarksville, all those names. Subscribe to AT Explained wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget our next AT Explained live show at the Paramount Theater on April 3rd. Brand new stories told live on stage. Get your tickets at austintheater.org. Support for AT Explained Live comes from Meals on Wheels Central Texas and World Interiors. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hey there. You're listening to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that formed and transformed them. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and for a decade of my life, I was a touring musician with the band Asleep at the Wheel, and my favorite moments were always before or after the gig, when people would sit around and play the music they were into and tell you why they loved it. I got off the road a couple of years ago, but I still long to talk to musicians about music, and so... I created this podcast because, in my opinion, musicians are the most beautiful when they're talking about the music that changed them. And actually, I should say that I find people in general beautiful when they talk about music, regardless of whether or not they're professional musicians. Take, for instance, my friend Meredith Goldstein. I've known Mare since middle school, and she, along with Laura Heffernan and Desiree Smith, shout out, were my core friend group in high school. We all started this thing called the Vaginal Pride Committee. Like, that's the kind of friends we were. Now, Mare is a love advice columnist. She writes for the Boston Globe's Love Letters, and she's got this amazing podcast, also called Love Letters. And every season, they explore a different aspect of relationships. Season one was about how to get over a breakup. Season two was about being single and dating. And season three tries to answer the many variations of the question, how do you know? Meredith asked me and my husband, Dave, to be part of season three. In the first episode, we got to tell the story of how we met and how we knew we wanted to partner up for life. And it was a really lovely experience making that episode. And I asked her to be on my podcast. Like I said, I've known Meredith for a long time. But, you know, the beautiful thing about life, you always get to learn new things about the people that you love. And I got to see this new side of her and get this insight into what music means to her when she told me about why she loved George Michael's father figure. So I know I must have probably heard it on the radio first. We didn't have cable, so I I know that I'd seen the video at friends' houses. But eventually, my sister and I owned the 45 of father figure. And that I played and replayed and replayed. And I think there are a number of reasons why it connected with me. First of all, it is a very sexy song. Um, I think that I liked that it was in a minor key. It felt very serious. And I mean, this is the 80s. I was super young. But to me, I very quickly knew that when older people had sex, this is what it sounded like. You know, Father Figure starts really sort of slow and steady and and calm, right? Like just this man singing to you about 
you know, he just wants something safe, right? He just, you know, these lyrics are just about, it's all I wanted, you know, something special, you know, like, it's okay. It's a, your easy introductory love song. And then it starts to build. What he's asking for is greater. What he wants is greater. The intensity of the voice builds. By the time we get to the bridge, we're almost at a level of um, full pleading. Um, if you do this, I'll do that, right? Like, um, if you were the desert, I'll be the sea. If you ever hunger, hunger for me, whatever you ask for, that's what I'll be. I mean, that's like a pretty big promise, right? And then it's, you know, and when you remember the ones who have lied. I'm just quickly reminding you that everyone else you've been with has been trash. <laughs> They're all trash men. Not trash men, but trash men. And what I'm going to give you is so much better. And then by the time we get to the end of the song, this climax, he's almost screaming, you know, hold on, hold on, and I won't let you go. Just hold on, hold on, and I won't let you go. And then we get this, like, sort of chorus behind him of, like, you know, um, this, like, pulsing, climactic uh, finish, right? Where he's delivering on every promise he's made. I think as a kid, I was like, whoa, (laughs) Uh, you know, whatever happened here was romantic and it was sexual and it was sensual and he begged for it. That climax delivers. There are different categories of love songs. And actually on on our Love Letters podcast, we did an episode about music where, uh, you know, a songwriter talks about how she made more money in royalties from breakup songs as opposed to love songs. (laughs) So we know how people need music at different times. But There are two categories of songs about love that I really like that are less common to me. One is very uncommon, and it is written from the perspective of the breaker-upper, who is apologetic. Actually, Tori Sivan has a great song, The Good Side. I listened to it, and I was like, oh my gosh, he's, he's acknowledging that he dumped someone and that it wasn't that hard for him. 
but he's sad for the other person. I got the good side of things Left you with both of the rings My fingers danced and swayed in the breeze The change in the wind took you down to your knees I got the good side of you But the other song, my favorite kind of love song, is not I Love You Forever. It's not the John Legend ballad. It's not um, I'm So Sad About This Breakup. It's I Am Begging. I am begging you for something, most likely intercourse. (laughs) George Michael writes almost every song from a place of I might not get what I want. Like, it's so odd to me that a guy who was so hot and so popular and had all this money and, yes, it took him, you know, his coming out process was, like, really complicated. But, like, any, any man, woman, whomever would be so lucky to be with George Michael, right? And every song is like, please, I mean, I Want Your Sex is like, there's actually an I Want Your Sex part two that is him continuing the song and just begging. It's like, please, (laughs) No, really. And father figure is a little bit different. Um, it's a little bit more confident. It's like a little bit more, um, I, you know, please, I, I, it's a little bit more, you're going to like it. <laughs> um, and I am the person to give it to you. Um, but there's still an insecurity about whether the person is going to accept. And I think so many of us see ourselves as the underdog in love, even when we're not. I certainly did. So, like, as a young person, even though I didn't I didn't have, like, a complicated acceptance of my own sexuality or, or you know, I was a young straight woman in the suburbs. Life was not that difficult. I think I was, like, never really comfortable with the idea that people were going to like each other and ask each other out and and to hear that sort of insecurity in the voice of a singer I loved like it it just meant a lot and I wonder what your thoughts on this because when I listen to father figure and I've I mean I've always had this like it's um it's a love it's a love song and it's a sexy song but there's something there's something more complex about it than your typical love song and maybe for me it's like the melding of romantic love and parental love, which seems very taboo to be saying, like, I want to be your father figure when you're talking about someone you want to sleep with. Um, yeah. And of course, now that we're older, right, we constantly hear people referred to as daddies, right? And like this, you know, we we understand as adults that this is like, you know, code for something else. And um, this is a real stretch, but I'm going to go there. <laughs> oh, go. 
I probably had two sexual awakenings as a child. One was to George Michael songs and the other was to the movie Labyrinth. And so many women who are around my age are like, oh, I remember when I had a sexual feeling. It was when I saw David Bowie in those stretch pants in Labyrinth. Like it's a it's a it's a generational moment. But what he says to her at the end of that movie is, you know, be my slave. If you will only obey me, like I will, I'll do whatever you wish. That's what he says to her at the end of that movie. Like, I'm in love with you. Do as I say, and I will be your slave. And that was like really complicated for me to figure out as a kid. It's like... It, but it, it but it very much sums up this sort of, like, dominant, submissive personality, right? Like, for a dominant person, they're like, once you um, leave everything at the door and become mine, I will then tend to every need you possibly have. And that's really what George Michael is saying in that bridge, right? Like, you know, whatever you ask for, that's what I'll be. It's really interesting because I feel like we're talking about this song and you're talking about what you what you like about it. And there's there's so many parallels to what you do for a living, which is your a relationship advice, first columnist and now, you know, podcaster. And, and I could be wrong about this, but do you think that you've been thinking in a complex way about relationships and sexuality and what it all means since since you were a kid, maybe maybe even in part because of this song? Is that a stretch? No, I don't think it is a stretch. I I don't think it is a stretch at all. I mean, I think that when I think about the songs I loved when I was a kid, the songs that you and I listened to um, when we were young, the ones that appealed to me most were often real uh, meditations on intimacy. And by the way, it was like a good chance to hear men meditate on feelings in a way that like I wasn't seeing in the real world, right? One of the things I've learned by writing an advice column is how much men are still not allowed to have feelings and how that has not changed and how disappointing that is. And um, when men write into me, straight men write into me about their love problems, people in the comment section will be like, dude, man up, like get over it, grow a pair, like grow a pair. This is like a concept that people still subscribe to. And um, and yet this, these same men, very masculine, I'm never sad men, are allowed to beg, plead, cry, be sad, long, um, all of these feelings, as long as they're doing it in music. Um, and it doesn't matter the genre of music. They're allowed to like be as miserable and desperate as they want to be if it's in that form. And I think it was probably like one of the ways I could see that you know, gender did not remove that experience for some people. You guys, seriously, I'd never thought about music as this space where men can actually feel and convey emotion. And this might have been a good stopping place for this interview, but there was one more thing that Meredith wanted to tell me about this song. It's very funny, like, for a song that I think is like the pinnacle of all sexuality, (laughs) I have never ever gotten it onto that song. Never. <laughs> do you think that it would like, do you think that you even could? I think, I think like what person has earned that? 
I mean, like I you're just, saving this for I'm, life. I don't even know what I'm saying. Like, it, to me, it's like it, it does the trick on its own, right? Like, it's like I don't want to taint it with some, like, some guy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, it, I, I didn't even want to t- taint it with George Michael when I was young. Like, I didn't, it, it's, I think it's one of the reasons why I didn't think of him. It was just like, it was the concept of it all, right? So, um, it tells its own story, I guess, and I didn't want to add my own story in there. That's all I wanted. Something special, something sacred in your eyes. Just for one moment to be warm and naked at your side. Sometimes I think that you never. And this is Father Figure. A live version. It's an MTV Unplugged version, actually. And, like, you guys, I knew that Meredith was into George Michael, but I had no idea that she'd thought so deeply about his work. And I loved seeing that part of her that has this deep relationship with music shine through. Yeah, people are beautiful when they talk about the music they love. Meredith made a special playlist for this episode full of her favorite pleading songs. You can find that on the show notes page for this episode at KUTX.org. KUTX is the radio station in Austin, Texas, where we make this podcast. And Meredith is a fabulous advice columnist and podcast host. You can find her Love Letters column at loveletters.boston.com. You can also find the podcast there or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find links to the column and the podcast on the show notes page for this episode as well. And that's it. You've come to the end of another episode of This Song. This Song is a production of KUTX 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This episode was produced by Art Levy and me, Elizabeth McQueen. I want to thank Meredith's producer, Amy Padula, for helping with this episode. I want to thank Michael Crawford here at KUTX for helping me record our interview. Thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And it is true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. KUT's next AT Explained Live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.